We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Time to recap Wildcard Weekend, what went on, what happened, and who were the big hits for those playoff contests, and what we're looking ahead to as we move here through the NFL playoffs. Sean, this was a weekend where some of the games felt like they were maybe getting out of hand in one direction or the other, and we had comebacks, we had turnarounds, we had lots of different things happen, so we have a lot to discuss in today's show. How were you feeling your Kansas City Chiefs had the week off to, to rest those legs, to, to you know, to to take it into to relax a little bit here this was intriguing and i'm interested to see how and which direction we take this show in today colin this was a fantastic wild card weekend we knew coming in that three of the games didn't project to be particularly close because in a couple of situations unfortunate dynamics with the quarterback position you have tua injured you have lamar jackson injured on the Seahawks side, they're actually heavy underdogs, despite the fact that they have Geno Smith with a career year. We've got DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Kenneth Walker, and all of those weapons on the Seahawks offense. And yet right now, the San Francisco 49ers look like an absolute juggernaut. That turned out to be the lone game that really kind of got away. But even in that one, you have the Seahawks leading at halftime with Geno playing great football in that first half. You have... These two games with Dolphins, Bills, where the Dolphins are so close to springing the upset, that would have shaken things up. And for all but the Buffalo Bills fans, that would have wiped out all of the controversy about the Bills getting kind of a free ride in the playoff seating, but it didn't happen. Then later, you get the Cincinnati Bengals, and they obviously got the short end of the stick with the way the NFL has decided to do the playoffs. They should obviously be coin flipping to see who hosts that game this week, but it almost didn't get there. When you are playing Tyler Huntley and you need a 99.9 yard touchdown return off of a fumble, and Colin, this kind of yeah is a throwback to the old days where you would see the running backs go flying over the pile. Obviously, you do occasionally see the quarterbacks reach the ball out there. You got to be close. And if you're not close enough and the defenders time it correctly, that risk of a fumble when you have the game in your hands down at the goal, heartbreaking, I think, for the Ravens. And yet 
this does create better football for us going forward. I think that the game that in many ways, perhaps more than the Super Bowl, perhaps more than a 49ers Eagles NFC championship game, perhaps even more than whoever gets through to the Chiefs. I think people want to see this Bengals Bills game in the divisional round. It could feel like Chiefs Bills did last year where it felt like the real Super Bowl now. I mean, obviously that's not the case because neither of those teams even made it to the Super Bowl. But to set up that matchup, I think that that's the perfect storyline. I think that's what we all want to see, aren't excited for next week. And yet there were so many incredible stories. You have one of the greatest comebacks in NFL playoff history this weekend. You have shootouts across the board. You have big plays from the biggest players. Again, the this. 2022 season finished on a high note. Lots of great stuff over the last six weeks or so, but especially the first half. I mean, this was one of the duller NFL seasons in years. This was one of the best wild card weekends ever, and I, I'm pretty fired up. Yeah, and I was saying, you know, before the show, what way will we do this? Because you're after naming off a handful of storylines that I just want to jump in and talk about. But the only way I think we can do it is in chronological order, because uh, otherwise I don't know we're going to be jumping around far too much on today's show with all the talking points. But you did hit on the 49ers win over the Seahawks. Seahawks leading that one 17-16 at halftime. But that was even a game where, you know, things kick off. Obviously, you mentioned that the Seahawks are bigger underdogs, and maybe they they should have been, but in the end, the this final score told the story that you know the, the 49ers are the better team here. But 49ers get out to a, a 10-0 lead, and it looks like this one's just going to be cruise control for the, the 49ers. But Geno Smith, the Seahawks, DK Metcalf, they they decide that this is going to be a little bit of a different story for the first half at least. But we get Brock Purdy again. He has 30 pass attempts, 18 completions, but has 332 yards and three touchdowns. Now, looking at that, obviously tells a little bit of the story versus watching what happened in the game because there's quite a few plays where it isn't necessarily his throw that leads to those touchdowns. But I think, you know, for what we've talked about, Sean, as a theme on the show, he continued to look good in this situation and uh, continues to, to not really turn the ball over very much but also to, to continue to get the ball into the end zone with Christian McCaffrey 119 rush attempts for him including that 68 yard one to kick the game off Debo Samuel Sean though I do think even with Christian McCaffrey also getting the receiving touchdown I think is the story here because he has been obviously injured missed time comes in gets nine targets six receptions 133 yards and a touchdown and that one of those touchdowns that I'm talking about with uh, Brock Purdy was a 74 yard touchdown for Debo Samuel where we seen that electric speed down the sideline that that he has shown off particularly last season but um pre-injury this year but the other side DK Metcalf has a huge day myself and Sean discussed on Saturday some of our FFPC lineups and I was on DK Metcalf all off season Sean and I said we can't put him in this lineup and uh, I just wish that I could take that decision back he goes 13 targets 10 receptions one three six yards two touchdowns one of those touchdowns coming at the end in, in real true garbage time. But DK Metcalf, fantastic performance here as well. And I have to give a, a shout out to Kenneth Walker, who gets in the end zone. Also, what was your, your thoughts coming away from this game? I think that the 49ers just, again, reminded us of, of all the different pieces and the weapons that they, which we were very critical, Sean, at, at kind of that midpoint of the season that they weren't using. But since this Christian McCaffrey trade, they have started to work those pieces in, and it's very very hard to, to cover this entire offense it is i i don't know that we've ever 
seen an offense that's this loaded. You think about what George Kittle has done the past couple of weeks. You think about Christian McCaffrey as you know probably the biggest impact running back in the NFL, at least since Marshall Falk, maybe since Barry Sanders. Debo Samuel, a top five wide receiver in the NFL. Brandon Ayuk, a top 10 wide receiver in the NFL. It's been frustrating to watch this team. And you go back to what what they were doing in mid-November where they struggle against the Chargers. End of November, they put up 13 points against the Saints. They've gotten it going since then. And I I actually think you have to give a ton of the credit to Purdy. It's easy to look at this and say, look, he's got playmakers that nobody else has. And yet all you have to do is go over and look at the Miami situation, for example, and see how difficult it is to put up big points as an inexperienced quarterback at the NFL level in the playoffs, someone who doesn't come in as necessarily an elite prospect. I mean, I was joking about big 12 football. As I kind of watch these games, you have Iowa state K state, their quarterbacks out there trying to lead teams to victory. Now Skylar Thompson, despite the poor actual numbers played a better game than his stats would indicate his receivers, his stars did not deliver for him in nearly the same way that you got from the 49ers in this game. But I mean, Christian McCaffrey doing everything that you want to see, obviously from him as both a rusher and a receiver, he gets only the two targets, but scores the receiving touchdown. Samuel, someone and Connor was mentioning this to me before the weekend started. He's so good that he is going to, in a lot of contests, neutralize some of the other weapons Kittle had been hot and does absolutely nothing in this particular game, in part because there are only so many targets to go around. Only so many players can score a 74-yard touchdown on any given play. Every week, you feel better and better about this team. Now, one of the things that we had said on the shows that was in the articles looking at this contest was that the 49ers' pass defense has actually not been as good, maybe, as people are under the impression that it was over the last you know month, month and a half, and that DK Metcalf was a good play. You and I did decide not to play on our team's but it was it was fun to watch this. I ended up with eight teams between playing some with you, some with Connor, some with Ben Gretsch, and ended up with 37% exposure there. Obviously, those three teams, you're excited about the performance that he gives in those. From a dynasty perspective, and as we already look to the ADPs that are going to develop for early next year, Metcalf, someone who, I mean, he's got a little bit of that buy low element now you're going to have a hard time doing that when he has a playoff game with 10, 136, and 2. But as their team in transition, as there are questions about Geno Smith and what he will do in the future, the direction that they will go, you know that this offense is going to flow through Kenneth Walker, who, I mean, he goes against one of the greatest run defenses of all time, and the numbers don't blow you away, but he was fantastic in this game, battling for extra yardage again and again and again. He does score the touchdown. He's someone who, I mean, he's a... a very viable option to be a 2023 first round pick. I don't think that he's going to end up going there. We'll see the what the prices turn out to be wide receiver relative to running back this next year. I, I would guess it's going to be a middle of the second round type of play, but there are only three or four guys in the entire NFL who could match his talent. This game was absolutely loaded. I It's too bad that Gino had such a good game, such a great season, and he has the one moment where the situational awareness just gets away from him for a moment. And he has the ball. He's trying to find a player down there. 
inside the red zone. You have the third and 14. You don't want to take a sack. You obviously don't want to fumble. You're down 24-17 at that point. It also, you're kind of thinking when you played Seahawks kicker as sort of a pivot play off of Justin Tucker. We played no Tucker across the lineups. That turned out to be the perfect call. Had some Jason Myers here. If Geno doesn't fumble, you get the field goal and the Seahawks stay in this game. Instead, there's the fumble followed by the 49ers touchdown on the other side. From then on, the game is out of hand. Really one play here sort of determined the Seahawks season. They did have some chances later, but you're just under so much pressure at that point. Except for that one play. I mean, this was a, a great game. It's a game that the 49ers are going to win. They just had too much firepower in all facets. But I think that you have to be excited about what the Seattle Seahawks did in this game in week 18 to make the playoffs, even though, again, we mentioned that maybe they got some favorable things. But you've got to win that game to get in. They did that. They had a nice season overall in what was expected to be a rebuilding year. They probably have a franchise court. One of the things here that's just so difficult when you're looking at the Seahawks, when you're looking at the Lions with Jared Goff, even when you're considering the New York Giants. And with every game that we go along with the Giants, it becomes clearer and clearer that Daniel Jones is pretty close to just being Josh Allen. But because of where those guys were when they came in, we've got to be so good to lock down that QB position for the long term. I think Goff's done it. I think that Geno Smith has done it. Obviously, Daniel Jones has either done it or he's going to be the foundation piece somewhere else. I love to see these quarterback storylines develop and these guys who were right on the verge of losing their careers make good make the jump i mean obviously one of the things we're wanting to see too is just as much quality qb play as possible in the nfl we got a lot of it this weekend and even though they lost gino played pretty well yeah and i think at minimum they have a bridge quarterback whether they have a franchise quarterback i definitely think they have somebody who can tide them over very much and similar to what we've seen with jared goff this year with the the Lions, and again, similar questions there. But, Sean, we're not going to get into it today, but you said a couple of things there that I've just taken note of. One was that Daniel Jones is basically Josh Allen. The other one is about Kenneth Walker being possibly a first-round pick in 2023. So we have lots of off-season talking that we can do on, on those topics. Interesting, uh, some of the key points we may, we haven't finalized our schedule for this week yet in terms of overall content because there's so many options, so many suggestions coming in from listeners as well. But in terms of roster percentage and the FFPC tournament across the two tournaments, 3% and one tournament for DK Metcalf, 4% and the other. He could potentially turn out to be a key piece if that happens. It's going to be interesting to see with the lower ownership players, if that actually matters in the, the long run here because you know one player missing out and having a dud for you can, can really affect how things play going forward. The other one was, Sean, you mentioned uh, Debo Samuel, your conversations with Connor. He is 2 to 3% across contests in terms of how many teams he's on. Christian McCaffrey on the other side, 75 and 77%, so very highly uh, you know, involved across the team. So Debo, again, could be a key piece as this tournament progresses. Looking then to move on to the Chargers. This game, I don't know, Sean, I'm probably going to let you describe this game. Everything that could go wrong in the first half for Trevor Lawrence went wrong. This was Urban Meyer type performances in the in the first half and a lot of it being unfortunate some of it not being down to him some of it being down to him but then we see him really surge in that second half we have a situation where it's a 27 to 7 lead at halftime to the los angeles chargers it is 27 to 0 at one point they also have a chance as they move in in the third quarter in the red zone they settle for field goal 
and that's really when the the comeback really starts to happen and they also then have that missed field goal which cost them the chance to seal the deal here so an interesting game sean all around trevor lawrence four touchdowns 288 yards also those four interceptions that i mentioned trevor or travis Etienne goes over 100 yards everyone gets involved in the passing game we get touchdowns from marvin jones jr we get zay jones in there with 74 yards and a touchdown we get 78 yards and a touchdown for christian kirk we get evan ingram continuing his tremendous season with seven for 93 and one everything gets going i thought jared leverett looked fantastic in this uh, sean we talked a lot about him in the preseason he is 109 yards six receptions and a touchdown Austin Eckler gets two touchdowns, but a little bit less used than I was expecting in this. Maybe part of that being the game script of how the, the first half went in this game. What was your thoughts overall? I thought the Chargers were in a situation here where I think they thought they had this one and and didn't kind of, you know, as they would say, put their foot on their opponent's throat and, and get the job done. What what was your overall thoughts here in terms of how this game developed and what, what do we make of the Jaguars here moving forward? Yeah, you have two sort of separate elements to this the reality contest and what happened and then the fantasy contest and how certain small pivot points could really now change what these playoff contests look like obviously when you're watching the first half you're thinking any of these teams where you took a risk on a jacksonville jaguar that you definitely wish you hadn't done that the chargers look like a power team at one point you know i was joking about the vikings come back against the colts but then just mentioning you know the chargers aren't the colts well it turns out that the chargers basically are and this is a game too where i mean justin herbert has been disappointing this season he hasn't had his weapons for big chunks of it that will explain away a lot of the faults he's been forced to go underneath he hasn't had his star left tackle you end up with this extremely low target depth you're no longer a dynamic offense you aren't blowing teams out. You're not putting up the gaudy numbers. You disappoint from a fantasy perspective. But in this game, too, we saw that it's not just some of the other situations around him. He has Keenan Allen open in the end zone on two separate possessions. And I know because I'm following that pretty closely due to the way that we had set some of these lineups up. All right, So we have a lot of lineups with Jaguars. Those lineups tend to be Keenan Allen lineups because you're thinking Allen in a one-game scenario more likely to outscore Eckler than in a multi-game scenario. The game-level similarity projections really like Keenan Allen. If you didn't really follow the Chargers down the stretch because either your team with Chargers was no longer alive or it just is not that fun of a team to watch necessarily, then it's easy to miss just how hot Keenan Allen was coming in. He has 13 targets in this game set up to have a huge game right you complete a couple more of these passes including these end zone plays where he's wide open then number one the chargers win the reality game easily and they're moving on to face the kansas city chiefs where i mean they've almost beaten them twice already this year they would have to feel fairly confident in that game especially if they had closed out this game in a pretty commanding fashion against what is actually a good jaguars team but that doesn't happen. You get the first pass is batted. The second pass, I think, because he doesn't want to have that happen again, is overthrown. One of the things that was in the notes for this game in the article talked about how the Jaguars, although they hadn't had the sacks maybe that you were looking for, they were top 10 in the NFL in pressures, and they were top 10 in batted balls. This Jaguars team, again, just a little bit of an undervalued 
defense or an underrated defense, you weren't necessarily seeing that in the first half where they're getting shredded by Austin Eckler. Again, at least from a touchdown scoring perspective, you have Gerald Everett putting up a big game here. Kind of joking with people watching this game that, you know, we had Gerald Everett all season. He does everything that you could have expected for what he cost in drafts. But then down the stretch, week 18, the first week of the fantasy playoffs, he's actually scoring touchdowns. He has the run after the catch dynamic. I mean, Gerald Everett looked like a star oh, tight end. He looks so, in just in terms of his physique, you know, with his, his athleticism, it's just when he is on the, the ball, it is something special. It really is. I mean, you can understand why he was drafted so early by the Rams, why teams will take a chance on him, why we took a chance on him. And in a game where he doesn't run the wrong route several times and miss some blocks and all those kinds of things, and then like that, drop a touchdown, a, he's good. Yeah, that's a bit right? of a downside. Yeah, well, I mean, those I are do. some things that you are looking for your tight end to not do. He has the good game. You mentioned that he didn't use Eckler enough. I mean, this is one, again, where it just once you get that big lead and the team is starting to come back on you, it puts you in this awkward situation where you don't want to – I mean, you don't want to – extend the game and create more plays and one of the things you're looking at you know in that Bengals Ravens game is just the the limited number of plays gives the Ravens a chance to spring the upset obviously once you have a huge lead you want a limited number of plays and yet for Eckler to only have the four targets for him to only have the 13 carries you get the seven carries for Joshua Kelly in this game both of those guys go under three yards per attempt again the Jaguars are shutting down the run game but the offense here just completely dead in the second half to where they're not able to have possessions that shorten this game at all. And then the Jaguar side. I mean, Trevor Lawrence, to play like that in the first half, you're thinking, okay, he's going to have to sit now after having had a great second half to his sophomore season. You have the disappointing rookie campaign. You come out in the first half of your second year, and people are thinking, okay, this is a guy who, I mean, he's going to be a starting NFL quarterback. There's not much question. You get drafted number one overall. You have that much arm talent. You also bring, you know, the size and athleticism to the table. I mean, you're going to be, a long-time starter, but maybe you're going to be kind of a low-end starter, which is a disappointment for a franchise who thought they were getting a big-time guy at number one overall. Still a lot better than what the New York Jets got with Zach Wilson, but a disappointment. Then in the second half of the season, you're starting to think to yourself, no, we have a bona fide star, and our franchise is going to be the franchise that controls the AFC South for the next decade. Maybe we don't get to the level of the Chiefs, the Bills, the Bengals, Maybe we're not controlling and competing for Super Bowls in quite the same way, but we're going to be a powerhouse. You go into this first playoff game, and it's an unmitigated disaster. I mean, a train wreck of epic proportions. You have the four first-half picks, and then you have this kind of shanked punt that unfortunately hits your guy in the helmet. Not too much fault of his own there. And you have the fifth turnover, five turnovers. There's just no way you could possibly ever overcome that. You can't overcome a 27-0 hole in the postseason. And they do. And now you're looking at Trevor Lawrence and thinking, okay, well, he got some of the jitters out of the way. He probably still doesn't have the elite weapons. They're going to have Calvin Ridley next year. And this team, especially again with this underrated defense, I mean, this team could go and beat the Chiefs just next week. And that's something that Ben and I talked a little bit about on our, I believe, the second show last week when we were setting up some of these contrarian lineups for the playoff contest. And you're saying it, it's not just one week. The team that comes through this has a better chance of beating the Chiefs than the Ravens had of beating the Bengals, than the Dolphins had of beating the Bills. I mean, those upsets didn't happen, but they're right there. I mean, this team could come out and just kind of roll over the Chiefs. I don't expect that, but it's a possibility. You've got Trevor Lawrence with the big arm, with the scrambling ability, with the toughness. I mean, think about the mental toughness to come back from four first-half picks and rally your team to a playoff victory. 
You have Travis Etienne, who, I mean, there are some weaknesses to his game. They don't get him involved enough as a receiver, but he goes over 100 yards. And then this trio of weapons, I think the most like triggering thing in this game was when Marvin Jones catches that touchdown because you're thinking, no, at the very, can we just keep the concentration to Ingram, Kirk, and Jones? Can we just have that? But those three guys all go over 10 targets. They all catch seven or more passes. They all catch a touchdown. You were kind of run out of words to describe what Jacksonville did here. His rapport with all of these guys and the competitiveness that they show, you get, I mean, you get the kind of the defensive breakdown on the 39 yard touchdown for Zay Jones. He's got the athleticism that people don't necessarily appreciate. You have Ingram, Evan Ingram as you know, one of the two or three most athletic tight ends in the NFL now unlocked by playing for a team that knows what it's doing. You have Christian Kirk kind of like a forgotten man, but still someone who really has been better at every stage of his career that people are willing to give him credit for. When you add Ridley to this team, I'm not even a Jaguars fan, but I, I just, I'm very excited to see what they can do over the coming seasons. I mean, this is what we want. Dynamic football that really gets the blood circulating and, I can't wait for this Chiefs Jaguars game. I, I mean, I hope it goes in the forties. Yeah, and I think um, obviously the way it played out for Jags fans is probably a unique experience coming from so far behind to to get the lead. But I do think, and we talked about this. I believe that it was off air. I was saying the only team I felt could do something similar to the Bengals last year, and really the only team I thought was a a wild card team outside of the the top ranked teams that were playing this past weekend that could go and do kind of similar to what the Bengals did last year were this Jaguars team it probably does end against the Chiefs this week but uh, I think they're compared to where we were last last offseason when we we're getting into that point versus where they are now uh, it's a remarkable turnaround so amazing stuff there amazing comeback third biggest playoff comeback in NFL history I believe is how that one finished up moving in though Sean to a game where we thought this game could be another one where it's uh, a wide wide margin of how things finish up that was the Miami Dolphins and the Buffalo Bills only a three-point difference when it came to the end and it was a, an interesting game overall with how it played out josh allen is now entering i think that patrick mahomes area in terms of having you know 352 yards and three touchdowns although he did have two interceptions and this is class kind of as a, a disappointing fantasy out for him just in terms of the regularity that he puts up those numbers he did just have 20 rushing yards in this which is maybe less than some people would have been expecting but he gets gabe davis to 113 yards and six receptions with one touchdown he gets 114 yards seven receptions to stefan diggs cole beasley gets in the end zone dawson knox gets in the end zone you know i, I think they don't a, a huge amount here on offense they have a rushing touchdown for james cook on the other side you know you mentioned the skater thompson sean had a better game than you know maybe the box score shows but the box score doesn't show a good game here it doesn't and yet I think you've got to give him some credit. I would have liked to have seen him scramble more successfully. There was one play you know, midway through the first half where he has a pretty easy first down. Not only does he not take that and just jog to it, but he more or less throws the ball away in the direction of the receiver on the sidelines. That was a mistake. He made that mistake a couple of times in this game, and it might have made the difference because – this was a wild and crazy game. And you love to see what the Dolphins did and that they challenged the Bills to make plays and the Bills mostly made plays. And yet the Dolphins created so much havoc that they had this game, right? And you have Josh Allen. You mentioned he was disappointing from a fantasy perspective, but still 
fantastic. What he was really disappointing from was from a reality perspective. You have two picks. You have the fumble that ends up being a scoop and score. Seven sacks overall. He seemed flustered and not ready for a team to actually bring a pass rush. One of the the one storyline that has soaked and really destroyed everything for the season, the defenses sitting back and making the games boring. When a team didn't do that, Josh Allen was not ready. You also had the situation there where on one of the interception returns, he's blocked a little bit by a member of the Dolphins defense. Guy realizes it's Josh Allen and says, okay, well, no, I'm not going to do that. And just turns his back on him, at which point Allen decides to go ahead and take you know, a little bit of a, a questionable play there. And as soon as you do that, then obviously you're going to have fighting after the, the play and people getting knocked down and the officials uh, going with sort of the cowardly offsetting penalties route. Not really what you're wanting to see from the guy who really is, I mean, he's the front page poster boy headliner for the entire NFL right now, even with what Patrick Mahomes is doing you could tell how rattled he was by the decision making across the board in this game now the throws that he does make are extraordinary and if you add in the long drop from khalil shakir in this game then his numbers are even crazier right so he executes in a way and attacks in a way that really nobody else can do even probably patrick mahomes but you can also see all the differences between him and Mahomes from a reality perspective and giving your team a chance to win. But you look at what he's doing, and Gabe Davis is not good. I mean, he's been able to be controlled by every team going back to the first month of the season. You get in a game where you need it. He gets the nine targets, six for 113, and a touchdown, and a very nice touchdown in the end zone. We're kind of going to be right back to where we were last season. Is this the year that Gabe Davis can take Playoff Gabe. The playoff game for the playoffs. There you go. There you go. You have Stefan Diggs with seven for 114 with a 52 yard gain. He almost makes one of the greatest all time touchdown catches, but is accurately out of bounds. I mean, I don't think there was much question on that one, but Diggs, someone who over the next couple of games. Now, this matchup is going to be very different with the Bengals, but the Bengals are, are very well positioned to limit these guys. It'll be exciting to see what. Buffalo is able to do in that game. Can Diggs go off? Diggs, we think, you know, again, Antonio Brown 2.0. Can't wait for that matchup. You get Cole Beasley coming out of mothballs to catch a couple of very key passes, only two of his five targets, but the 29-yard touchdown, a huge difference maker in this game. On the other side, it really comes down to the fact that the receivers did not show up for Miami. You can look at it and say, well, I mean, Skylar Thompson doesn't give him a chance to win. Tua, maybe, I mean, with the way that Josh Allen played, it's easy to look at this game and say, if Tua's out there, the Dolphins beat the Bills for the second time this season, and they're on to the next round. The future for the Dolphins is very bright, as long as they don't make any boneheaded decisions with their head coach, who probably already a top 10 coach in the entire NFL. Jalen Waddle has has got to play football. I mean, this was the worst game of his young career. He has a drop to start the game which is a crushing play. He has the chance to redeem himself when Thompson makes another beautiful deep throw down the sidelines. And that play, the defensive back gets his hands in. But someone of Waddle's elite athleticism, I mean, he's got to go up and make a play on the ball. You can't just be like, oh, well, the defender got his hand in. It's like after you've already dropped a long catch, go up and make a play on the ball. He has a third opportunity down the middle of the field later in the game where he does elevate 
and make a play on the ball only to drop it. We love Jalen Waddell. He was probably our most drafted player. I think in main events, he was our most drafted player. He had a secondary breakout season because he broke out as a rookie. He looked great. A different profile this year, further down the field, putting up these crazy numbers in the GPS tracking in terms of how fast his on-field play speed is. We know that if he catches the ball, he can run away from anybody, but he's got to catch the ball. He's been terrible really all season. This isn't the first game where he struggled with this. He's not a contested catch player, or at least to this point in his career. You don't ever want to pigeonhole anyone and say they can't do it. I mean, I think he can do it. <laughs> why would Jalen Waddle with his athleticism and the intensity that he obviously brings, why would he not be able to make plays? I think he can. I think he will. But he didn't hear. And it was backbreaking for the Miami Dolphins. He's, he's just simply got to make those plays. And this is something where it does kind of raise the eyebrows a little bit and have you think back to his tenure at Alabama, where especially in his final season where he's playing as an older player against younger opponents and he has multiple 200-yard games. And you're like, yeah, I mean, Jalen Waddle against college kids is going to go for 200 yards when he's got a starting NFL quarterback who's throwing passes to him. But you look a little bit earlier and where he was compared to Devontae Smith and Jerry Judy, guys who, I mean, just absolutely left him in the deep dust at the college level. You see him play a game like this, and you can understand why Alabama's like, yeah, I mean, let's just go through Jerry Judy and Devontae Smith. Those guys will get the job done. I'm hoping that his third season is, I mean, you can't just put one game on one player and say you lost us the playoffs, like your entire 2023 needs to be about proving yourself. But I would love to see him go on some kind of redemption rampage and, you know, challenge for 17, 1800 yards receiving, stay a little bit healthier, even in this game. Every game he leaves for a handful of plays because he's hurt. I mean, Tyreek Hill does that as well, comes back in, puts up some big numbers. Hill also drops the first pass thrown to him in this game. He has 15 targets, only pulls in seven. Now, again, some of those misconnections are going to be on Skylar Thompson, but he has to play a better game. And you look at this game and you think back to, well, why was he available? Tyreek Hill had some huge games in the playoffs against the Buffalo Bills. He was a big part of them winning their Super Bowl. He was a big part of them getting to their second Super Bowl. But you think about their most recent two playoff losses, he plays poorly in the loss to the Buccaneers. He plays poorly in the loss to the Bengals, including being a part of that final interception that dooms the Chiefs in overtime. He plays poorly in this first game with the Miami Dolphins. Again, part of what you're dealing with here, and, and similar to kind of my criticisms of Josh Allen, is just that these players have established such an incredible level of production, of play. Your expectations for them are so high that any time that they're not superstars you know you get let down but this is the time of the season where you've got to go and make some of those plays a lot of players did this weekend and for the most part not entirely but for the most part their teams are moving on we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use indeed the better it gets Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're going to talk now, Sean, about your favorite player in the entire NFL, and that is... Daniel Jones and the New York Giants as they get a win here against the Minnesota Vikings. I had talked all season long, I guess we'll say at this point, that the Vikings weren't as good as their record suggested. They were 13-4 and four on the season. They were 8-1 and one at home in the season. They lose here and get bounced in the playoffs by the Giants in Minnesota. The The big thing, I think, and we, we have seen it in the past, is Daniel Jones' rushing ability, but this was another game where they're working in those designed runs for him. And then on the, the plays that he has to scramble, he's doing that too. But the team runs 30 times in this game. Saquon Barkley has nine of those. Daniel Jones has 17 carries in this game. Some of those are going to be to see the game out with needle downs, but he leads the team in both yardage, 78, and also in carries and has two passing touchdowns, 301 yards. He has really fitted into the system in the way the New York Giants are playing. The defense obviously is bought in as well they are very very strong but i don't know i i've never really bought into the prime time narrative for kirk cousins but i think kirk cousins gets you to a certain level and you know i don't i don't think it's a super bowl one in level that we're going to get to see him at the other disappointing part sean i guess we'll say in this is uh justin jefferson seven for 47 he comes out with but tj hawkinson is a big day 10 for 129 in this one but the giants is a it's kind of one of those complete team wins where you know you have Isaiah Hodgins, who we talked about a couple of weeks ago. He has 105 yards of touchdown for him. Eight receptions. Darius Slayton has 88 yards. Saquon Barkley has 56 yards receiving as well. I think a complete team performance working in a variety of different ways, and they, they've all bought in. And I do think they're a better team overall than the Minnesota Vikings. So this was one that you had kind of predicted that, that could happen. I, I still thought that the Vikings would get that home playoff one and then get bounced in the next round but um big big one here for the new york giants and when you're looking at certain players and how their seasons are going and what the long term holds for them a t a player like daniel jones and this getting a playoff win on the road definitely builds up his stock here with the new york giants and if the new york giants aren't going to look to hold on to him the other teams around the league i think will be, be impressed with this performance they would have to be right and i think when you include his rushing ability i mean i'm I'm ready to put him at the edge of the top 10 quarterbacks i mean i think he's that good at this point you consider what he's dealing with and what he's been dealing with all season and arguably his entire career at the wide receiver position he's got the arm strength he's got the accuracy now when you You mean kenny galladay isn't isn't the answer no well i mean sadly kenny galladay has not been the answer but this is a great rags to riches story with Isaiah Hodgins. Hodgins was one of our favorite players out of his class several years ago. He looked fantastic in our metrics. Just one of these guys who was going to be undervalued and was going to blow up 
And he lands there with the Buffalo Bills. And you're thinking if there's ever a spot where someone could manifest those elements that we're talking about, it would be with Josh Allen and Buffalo. But whether you argue that Buffalo was actually deep enough that they didn't need him, or you argue that maybe just when someone doesn't have that draft status that forces you to really take a close look that sometimes those guys get away, or you just argue that he's still not really anything, but the giants have to throw to somebody. I mean, this is cool. You watch him play in this game. And one of the things that, again, we noted in the shows and in the articles and Ben and I played Isaiah Hutchins in one of the lineups. And that was really exciting because I mean, he had a huge game and he looked, I wouldn't say unstoppable, but you've got a guy who's a little bit more of the vertical player with Richie James, the underneath target. Now, Isaiah Hodgins is not necessarily a vertical player either in terms of what his actual profile, physical ability, all those types of things. But he averages 13 yards per catch in this one. He goes for 32 yards and along. He scores a touchdown. He has the nine targets. He's getting open at will against Minnesota. Now, one of the reasons to consider playing these guys is that Minnesota's defense is poor. And so it would have been hard really to fade the Giants as a team. Obviously, they could have lost this game, but you have Barkley and his possibility for putting up some big numbers. You have Hodgins and even Richie James, who look good in some of our projections. He doesn't have the big game here. Not everybody is going to have it simultaneously. This turned out to be a little bit more of a Darius Slayton contest, even though Slayton's penchant for drops really came up and, and actually was the thing that gave Minnesota a chance to tie this game late if, if Slayton could catch the ball he would be a very clear-cut starting NFL receiver he gets open at will fantastic athleticism that vertical profile that you need and we talk a lot about how drops are not something you should put that much weight on they tend to be pretty random they do vanish at certain points and suddenly then the guy goes and has a wonderful career Slayton drops so many passes that it's just very difficult to get by it because those are drive killers and you know, when you have established this pattern for multiple seasons and it never gets any better, but I mean, he's playing because they have no other options, but he does give you that explosiveness. He was someone who contributed in this game with a 47 yard catch and three others. It's just so fun to watch the Giants play right now. And I think that you have to give Brian Dable a huge amount of credit. This game was a lot more about the Giants playing well than it was about Minnesota playing poorly. Now, the weaknesses that Minnesota has are still there. One of the things that I think it's important that we keep in mind, yeah, I mean, Minnesota was not as good as their record. At the same time, that's actually a triumph for Kirk Cousins. It's a triumph for Kevin O'Connell. It's obviously it goes down to Justin Jefferson being the biggest receiving star that we have in the NFL. They go out and make this trade for TJ Hawkinson, which I mean, the Lions have been able to manufacture production from you know these backup tight ends that they've used after Hawkinson left. But every week, this trade looks better and better for the Minnesota Vikings. And the way that the Lions use Hawkinson <laughs> looks worse and worse. 10 for 129 in this game. And just more or less unstoppable. He looks, I mean, he doesn't look like George Kittle, who is just so dynamic after the catch. It's almost unreal. But TJ Hawkinson looks like Travis Kelsey. I mean, you can't move a guy like that when he's in his mid-20s for like some mild draft pick upgrades. I mean, it just... And again, I mean, they don't want to pay him. They weren't having great success with him, but Colin, you mentioned some of the roster percentages. Hawkinson, extremely low. We played Hawkinson a bunch. I think maybe had over 50% Hawkinson when you include the additional $35 level team that you and I did. 
listeners of the show know that we probably like Hawkinson too much, but this was a great chance to play him. And you want to play him with the idea that the Minnesota is going to lose. And so you play Saquon Barkley off of that. Barkley with the multi-touchdown game. He wasn't used as much as maybe you would expect, but this was a game in which he got targets. I think this was a well-coached game on both sides. We give Kirk Cousins a lot of grief, but he's 31 for 39. Zero sacks, zero picks, throws some touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, does he need to get the ball more effectively to Justin Jefferson? Probably, but this was just a well-played football game that the Giants end up coming out on top of. And you mentioned some of the players there. Jefferson, uh, Justin Jefferson, that is, was 78 and 77% rostered across those two contests over at the FFPC. TJ Hawkinson, 12 and 13%. So that that obviously, for people who did it, was a massive pivot point uh, in that contest and, and for that performance overall with, with Hawkinson having the big day and obviously in tight end premium even bigger. Sean, the last game to head on now is the Bengals and the Ravens. And this was a little bit of a scare for the Cincinnati Bengals. They get the win in the end. That play that you mentioned earlier was such a, a massive, massive swing. It is a situation where Tyler Huntley is millimeters at this point away from getting a touchdown. It's knocked out of his hands. It's returned the entire way for a touchdown. We see those plays happen sometimes where it's knocked out and the ball is recovered by the defense. Not very often you see it going all the way to the house in the opposite direction. So just a massive, massive scoring swing, a massive, massive momentum swing as well in this game. J.K. Dobbins is a big game for the Baltimore Ravens, 13 for 62 on the ground. And then he pairs that up with four for 43 and one touchdown through the air. Demarcus Robinson gets in the end zone. Mark Andrews is the, the most targeted with 10 targets, five receptions, 73 yards for the Baltimore Ravens. And, on the other side, Sean, a quiet day for Joe Burrow overall. 209 yards passing, one touchdown. He does have the quarterback sneak for the rushing touchdown along with nine rushing yards. Jamar Chase, though, is really the only player outside of that that has a significant day. Nine for 84 and one touchdown going his way. What were your thoughts overall with how this was played? I think the, the Baltimore Ravens did a, a really brilliant job here at, at limiting what the Bengals were able, able to do outside of Jamar Chase, who they also, with what we know Jamar Chase can do, were able to limit Jamar Chase in a certain amount in this game. Yeah, this game, pretty disappointing for Bengals fans. The Ravens come out with the perfect game plan and they execute it with great precision with a couple of exceptions. Obviously, the failed sneak that ends up being a return touchdown is the play that determines this game but they end up running 12 more plays they gain 130 more yards they get five more first downs when you can do that to a team that is as balanced as the Bengals, as talented as the Bengals on offense when you can take their skill players away with the exception of as you mentioned jamar chase i mean this is one where they throw 32 times. Joe Mixon only gets 11 carries. And yet every time he does get a carry, you're screaming at the TV for them to throw the ball because Joe Mixon touches in a game against a defense like the Ravens are just pure throwaway plays that hurt your team. Now, the big development here as we go forward is the loss of Jonah Williams. The Bengals now over the last three weeks have lost an offensive lineman in each they were not a dominant offensive line over the first half of the season, even with those guys, but things had dramatically improved over the second half, and now you're dealing with backups. The thing that I hate to think about here, and hopefully this won't be 
what happens for the Bengals. But it's hard for me not to think back to the Super Bowl with the Chiefs and the Buccaneers a couple years ago, where by the time that game occurred, the Chiefs had lost so many offensive linemen at the end of the year and through the playoffs that they're dealing with almost entirely backups. And I still think that if you play that Super Bowl another 10 times, it probably goes at the very worst for the Chiefs. It goes five and five. But not having an offensive line allowed the Buccaneers and their attacking defense to make a lot of plays and to put Patrick Mahomes in situations that he usually doesn't have to deal with. Definitely not to that extent. Joe Burrow here plays a nice game and that he doesn't throw a pick. He's able to vaguely move the ball. He's able to get the ball to Jamar Chase, as you mentioned, Chase with the 984 on one line. Chase also with another one of these drops that I gave Jalen Waddle such a hard time for. Jamar Chase fails to make a play over the middle of the field where the ball is perfectly dropped over the outstretched arms of the defenders at the level right before that. You can say, I mean, it's it would have been a hard catch, a harder catch than what Waddle was dealing with. But when a ball is perfectly placed like that by the QB, you're in this game that is for the season. I mean, if Chase doesn't catch that ball and the Bengals go on and lose, which was what probably should have happened here, then he's got to sit with that all year. And again, people can't be perfect. It was a difficult play. You just You want to see the stars come out and show you what you have. A similar situation there with T. Higgins where I mean, he's got to go and make more plays. The thing that really bails out Burrow, especially Burrow and his fantasy managers, is that you get the rushing touchdown when Hayden Hurst is ruled down at the one-inch line, then you get the two-point conversion. Because of what I would argue is the vaguely unfortunate way that the fantasy scoring works, as a result of that being a rushing touchdown followed by a two-point conversion, it's the equivalent of two passing touchdowns. And is it worth two passing touchdowns because you ran it and then you executed the two-point conversion? You know, probably not. But that gives him a pretty good situation. Jamar Chase, pretty good. If you're playing a full Bengals lineup in underdog, then I mean you're probably either not going to make it or you need some big performances from your Buccaneers probably tonight to get through because you get hit with the Joe Mixon game that's worthless. You get hit with the T. Higgins game that isn't playable on an advancing team. Maybe you had Hurst, and if he had scored that touchdown, you would have gotten through, and now you don't. You think of the Hurst touchdown, the other couple of plays that people are going to be lamenting. Jalen Waddle probably actually does score on his one rush of the game there. It appears that his shin whiffs. It either whiffs or it grazes the ground. You're never going to get that overturned on replay so you needed the official to rule it a touchdown but the official has to make the call that he sees because if you rule that a touchdown then replay is not going to be able to overturn it and in fact if it wasn't a touchdown you want it to be the correct call you also have justin jefferson for folks playing him which is almost everyone then i mean he gets tackled at the half foot line again no one in the history of sports has been tackled on the one foot line as many times as justin jefferson but the flip side of that is if you want to get in the end zone, J.K. Dobbins makes one of the greatest goal line lunges of all time. For a guy who is one of the shortest players in the NFL, you have him get his body fully extended, his offhand down, the ball extended at perfect full stretch. He gets across. Column, I mentioned with a couple of exceptions for the Baltimore Ravens, they lost this game because they did not go to J.K. Dobbins in the red zone on those other possessions. They took him out way too many times. Gus Edwards gets 12 carries to Dobbins 13. Dobbins looked electric in this game. He was awesome as a rusher. He catches four passes for 43 yards and a touchdown. 
elite in the receiving game. J.K. Dobbins is one of the best six or seven running backs in the entire NFL, unless there's something that we don't know about. And again, I don't know how you could be that electric if you're injured to the point where you couldn't have taken a couple more carries. This is... this is a travesty. I mean, how can you not use Dobbins here? You took it so easy with him all season, and I think rightly. We were excited about it. We thought he might do better than he did. That's a miss on our part. If he doesn't have to go and get the second surgery, then maybe he just has a good season, but he does get the cleanup surgery, even though I mean, his claim is that he was still fine, but just wanted to be better. Comes back, and from that moment on, is a game breaker. He's a game breaker in this game, and they don't use him. And I'm never probably going to say 17 touches is his absolute limit where he is from a health perspective, but this is a one play game and you've got, you've got a star. I just, I, it was remarkable to me. This, this Baltimore offense too. You have Mark Andrews who uh, he only catches five of the 10 in this one. He played well. It's just, is a tough situation. You would have loved to see him get 15 targets in this game, but you have Mark Andrews and you have JK Dobbins and you have nothing else. You would have won this game if you had used your superstar. I mean, I was rooting for the Bengals, but I also rooting for J.K. Dobbins, and I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, J.K. Dobbins could easily come out and have a 2,000-yard rushing season next year if he's completely healthy. He's a game-breaker. I mean, this was a little bit like, at one point, the, the Detroit Lions experimented with taking Barry Sanders off the field in goal line situations. And then you have a few years later, Marshall Falk with the greatest show on turf, and he's putting up, you know, 30 touchdowns. And Dick Vermeil and Mike Martz are like, yeah, no, you want your playmaker on the field in those key situations. I don't know. I mean, if you're a Ravens fan or if you're a J.K. Dobbins fantasy manager, I mean, you're watching that game and, and just mind blown. It, but the main takeaway is he looked fantastic. This was a great game. The Ravens played extremely hard. It's unfortunate for them that they didn't win because they did what they needed to do. Yeah, I thought they played hard, but um, yeah, they they come up short, and and they had to overcome a lot. Obviously, they haven't had Lamar Jackson for quite some time. You know, there's just uh, some challenges that that you do come up against the the better team. But that, obviously, the key play of the whole game is going to be that turnover down and the red zone that led to the Bengals' defensive touchdown. That is going to do it for today's show. We will be back with two more podcasts this week, as I mentioned at the end of these shows quite regularly. The podcast cadence may change up a little bit over the course of these weeks and through the offseason, so make sure you are subscribed to get the shows once they come out. Of course, Sean also does the fantastic Stealing Bananas along with Ben Gretsch. Make sure you check those shows out. Lots of great content in there as well. Really enjoyed covering that today with Sean as we, we look back in some of those games. Of course, we do have the final game with the Buccaneers and the Cowboys on Monday Night Football. Good luck to everyone tonight if you need certain scenarios myself and sean have a few who are needing big points from cd lamb but not big enough to knock us out of some spots and other areas over on our underdog team so there's always those little bits uh, where you're trying to tread the needle a little bit but hopefully you will enjoy that game we will be back with more shows later this week and again last plug for it subscribe to the podcast feed do that get them straight away but my name is colin kelly you can follow me on twitter at Overtime Ireland, my co-host as always is Sean Siegel. Check out all of Sean's work up on rotaviz.com. And until we are back, have a good one. 
Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz with a discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.